Tyrese Halliburton was stunned, Malika. Uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First 10 for three. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want to hear from you and get your feedback. Um, Caitlin and I are back with a uh, kind of more of a quick pod um, after some, I guess it wasn't um, surprising news yesterday, but just a relatively interesting uh, press conference went on with Jalen Smith's uh, official signing of his contract. Um, before we dive in, Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Excited to squeeze in one extra mini pod here before summer league starts up. Yeah, um, I don't know about you. I've been actively avoiding watching Salt Lake City summer league. To be honest, I watched like 10 minutes of one game. I was like, I've seen all these guys play a million times in the pre-draft process throughout the year. I'm ready to take a small break from it. So, um, but I am excited to go out to summer league. It's going to be a busy week, but um, yes, I. I am very intrigued to see what does and doesn't happen at Summer League. So in terms of uh, what actually happened being uh, being interesting, um, so Jalen Smith, during the press conference yesterday, first of all, the contract, I think it was three for slightly over 15. I don't remember the exact dollar amount. Um, but it was announced, uh, well, not even announced. It was just kind of slid in by Rick Carlisle that he's, he re-signed to be our starting power forward moving forward. Also, I mean, there's some interest, interesting stuff there. First of all, starting power forward, that's one thing. Second of all, the moving forward bit was interesting as well. Um, yeah. What was your initial reaction to seeing that yesterday? Well, I mean, when we talked on the last podcast just about Jalen deciding to stay put, we had both pointed out, given how many fives and the fact that O'Shea and Terry Taylor project more ideally as fours, that Jalen had to have been guaranteed some type of opportunity or knew that they were moving somebody. Otherwise, I don't know why you would have chosen to stay put in the way that you are, given what his current contract situation was and what they were going to be able to offer him with the new contract. So I wouldn't say that I was completely shocked. It was just a little bit more of a surprise that they were already willing to publicly say that at the presser. And then also just, which I'm sure we'll get into some thoughts on, I think that he's capable of playing the four. And I think that that was one of, you know, the reasons whenever we did our Jalen Smith review pod that, you know, I would have given him an edge over Goga in addition to some of the defensive reasoning, because, you know, it does give you a little bit more versatility where if you, you know, you get in a pinch and a five is hurt, you can play him at the five. If you want to play a little bit bigger, you can play him at the four. Um, I think that's value. I think that the Pacers value having that type of flexibility, but I think that I overall see him more as a center who in certain spots can play the four. than I see him as a starting four who in certain spots can play the five, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You beat me to the punch. Um, I mean, this is not even to, to be unfair. It's just like being honest even going back to his time at Maryland, he played the four and he really didn't get guarded like it. Um, and I just, that that's not something that really changed throughout his time in the NBA throughout this last year, um, playing the four primarily in Indiana. 
So it's interesting. Um, I do think like part of that is like just to, to take one note, this is okay. This is clearly, I don't think that they're doing this if, if they're like, you know, we're going to be a go, go for an all team next year. Um, at least that would be my assumption, but uh, obviously more things have pointed to, to them not being that team. Uh, but still, it's just, I think we're in the same boat. It's very hard to believe that that's what they're going to do until it actually happens on court. So um, TBD, but yeah, so in that aspect, it was definitely um, interesting. What I found most interesting by it, like like we talk, like like you mentioned, we talked, and I think this was kind of ex- expected is maybe the wrong way to put it, but like okay, if he's resigning here, there's probably something in place to keep him here, or like some some kind of guarantee that makes him want to stay here. Um, I mean, what does this mean for? Uh, uh, what does this mean for O'Shea Brissett? What does this mean for Isaiah Jackson? How do you think they are feeling? <laughs> I mean, let's just get into it because I went through last night after this was announced and I was interested because I'm like, you know, I think that there were a couple games that Jalen started at the four after the trade deadline. And so I went through all the box scores to track who they started and when. And by my, you know, just doing this by hand, they started Jalen at the four for two games. Um, one of the first four after the trade deadline against Milwaukee, they started O'Shea, Jalen, and Goga at the same time, I think in part because Brogdon was still out and then Duarte had had the toe injury, so they wanted to play bigger against Milwaukee. And then when the first game in Orlando, when Brogdon was out, they played Jalen and Ijax mm-hmm. with O'Shea at the three. Those were the only two games that I found that Jalen was the starting four. And in part... I think that was because there was so many games where between Ijax's ankle and the concussion and then Goga managing the foot soreness that Rick Carlisle was a little bit boxed into a corner and that, you know, you weren't going to start Jalen at the four because who else were you playing at the five? But that being said, like once I started looking through, I'm like, there's a number of games here where they were all three available and they did not start Jalen at the four. They started O'Shea. So like when they were up in Boston, O'Shea, Terry Taylor, Goga, Jalen, and Ijax, all were healthy, all were in the lineup. They started O'Shea, Terry Taylor, and Goga. So, like, if you had any inkling, like, even a small inkling that, hey, you know, we've been in talks with Jalen. He seems to really like it here. You know, we, we've we looked around at what teams are going to have cap space and kind of trying to weigh our options to see if we think we're going to be able to keep him. We see him as a four. Why, when you're up against the Boston Celtics, aren't you starting Jalen Smith at the four? Um, so, overall, if you look at his minutes, With the Indiana Pacers, and again, I understand that injuries played somewhat of a part in this. He played 18% of his minutes at the four, 82% at center. That's Mm -hmm. more than he did with the Phoenix Suns in terms of a split. So it kind of goes back to, you know, some of the stuff that they do sometimes, or it feels like they do, where it's like, if that's what you're envisioning moving forward, why aren't you already getting a jump start on it? And even if you aren't going to necessarily want to always start him, why wasn't he playing more minutes at and lineups, like just hybrid units at the four. Like he wasn't doing that much at the four is my point. Yeah. So with that being said, to answer your question, if I'm O'Shea, I'm a little bit surprised because, oh, well, I, you know, my numbers went up. I played pretty well over the back end of the season and you were starting me at the four. And if I'm Isaiah Jackson, I'm kind of wondering at this point, which I'm sure this will probably be another little piece of the pod later on, given that a bunch more rumors came out yesterday. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, where's my opportunity for upward mobility? 
because you just signed Jalen to a three-year contract, which the third year is a player option. But, you know, you probably are hoping that Jalen's going to outperform that contract and potentially, you know, stay beyond that. And to this point, Miles is still under contract. So if I'm Isaiah Jackson, I'm kind of asking, like, so I'm kind of locked in here at a bench spot? Yeah, it definitely makes it interesting. Uh, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, Like, I don't know. I mean, more Miles Turner rumors circulated yesterday. I believe it was Brian Windhorst saying that he expects him to be traded, but also at the same time, we've heard that for a half decade. So uh, until it happens, I we'll see. Um, but well, I will I- say that there was, just to hop in, there was three separate rumors yesterday where in Jake's column, he had essentially said there's not much of a market for Miles at this point, which, yeah. I mean, like we had said in the past, kind of makes sense because, you know, a lot of teams either drafted centers who had been linked to him or, you know, we're Minnesota and we decided to go all in for Rudy Gobert or whatever else. But Jake said there was basically no market. Um, yeah, Brian Windhorst on the podcast asking people not to aggregate it said that there's a good chance he's not going to be a pacer next year. And then Greg Doyle on his column yesterday about Kevin Durant, if people open that up and read it. Um, he has a direct line in here that leads me to believe this isn't just speculation on his part, but more of, you know, an informed stance. He says, quote, and then there's Miles Turner. He wants out of Indiana, and he'd prefer a bigger market. So there's that um, to consider. But, yeah, I mean, if we're just looking at this from that angle, like, do you just want to talk? I mean, there was another little quote that Rick said, which if you hadn't seen the whole video, that after they announced that he was going to be the starting power forward, he kind of paused and said, it's been a while. It's been a while since we've had that sort of prototypical power forward. Why does he say shit like this? Like, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to say that I know more than Rick, but like, can you not understand how this stuff comes off? Like, yeah. I if I was if I was O'Shea or I was Ajax, like especially the way that he talked up Ajax after the draft last year. Like, what are we doing here? I just that's so weird to me. Like, we. Oh, yeah, can- I mean, after the draft, Ajax was. Um- the most athletic player freaking Kevin Garnett, by the way, he talked about him. He was the most athletic player they've had since Paul George and that he hadn't seen anybody that moved better on the perimeter. Um, so yeah, I mean, and it's not even just like, I don't think he, I don't think he thought that through and meant it as a zinger, but it's also kind of a zinger to miles and Sabonis for being honest. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's how it comes across. Like when you say that we haven't had that sort of prototypical power forward in a while, it's like, Oh, well, because you know, we inherited that roster with the two double bigs. This isn't something we've had. And so I guess branching off of that, I kind of want to ask you, what does Jalen Smith do to you that is a prototypical power forward? Like, let's just parse through that a little bit. He doesn't like maybe he's a prototypical power forward that people got excited about in the early 2000s who can stretch the floor and, um, you know, play as a weak side rim protector and have some mobility. But like, as we've talked about, like the game has changed a ton from that standpoint. Like, I think the, I, what makes like, I don't know. I just think Jalen is still a bit of a ways away from being a real full-time four. like attacking closeouts. Like he can kind of do it, but what happens after he takes his guy off the dribble is another story. Um, the passing is really just not a thing right now. Uh Particularly, like like we're talking about, like off the bounce is not not really a thing. Like there were some flashes, but again, that's okay. It's one thing to be flashing as a backup guy, but as a prototypical power forward, I don't know if I see that. Um, 
So it just feels like you're doing a lot of projecting and thinking that this guy's going to actually become that. Um, so I, I, I don't know. It's, I, I can't, I can't really get there. Right. So let's look at the numbers a little bit. In his first seven games with the Pacers, he shot 13 of 28 from three. So over 40%. Mm-hmm. The rest of the season, he shot 32%, which he shot 31% from three for his career. So you're, again, like what you just said, you're doing a little bit of projection that those first seven games were more real than what the rest of his career has been. Now there's a chance that they could be. And I will say that Jalen did little things about every game that I was like, Oh yeah. You know, that's interesting. Or there's some shot versatility. I didn't know in Orlando that you could step into and make trailer threes, or I didn't know you could cut into the corner and make, you know, he didn't quite get his feet set, but I didn't know you could cut into the strong side corner and square up and make a three from there. Or, you know, he did quite a bit out of the pick and pop. So um, I don't think it's necessarily unrealistic to think he can continue developing there, but it's what you're saying. Like aside from hitting those spot up threes, which a lot of them were not contested. I don't know what else he does that I would be like, Oh yeah, that's a prototypical four because to this point in time, I mean, the clip that I picked for his, one play was him up in Detroit getting a closeout against Corey Joseph and needing to attack it and then not being quite sure of, you know, first of all, I don't really know why you would just try to take a guard off the dribble like that and try to score like a floater, but like his decision-making between facing up and getting into more of a methodical back down has a ways to go. And like, to your point, getting to the basket out of a closeout um, of all of his spot ups, he got to the basket on 5.6%. So he was two of three getting to the basket out of um, closeouts. That's not really a per like those numbers, like just, just to give people point of reference, like miles got to the basket on 20% of his closeouts. Mm-hmm. He was 14 to 26. So, and I do think that that's one area that, that miles did show um, his drives did do a little bit better for him this year in terms of being contained and getting to the basket. But um I, I'm more so, like I said, when we tipped off, I see him as a five who you can play at the four sometimes, but, um, that's just my thinking. Um, let's get into a little bit from there. You know, if we're looking at the starting lineup, we know Tyrese is the, is the starting one Jalen. We now know is the starting four, um, based on if for right now, we need to talk about miles as if he still is the the big man, he's the person under contract. He will be the starter if he's still on the roster when the season ends. So we got Tyrese, Jalen, and Miles, and then most likely, you know, two of Matherin, Buddy, or Duarte, some combination of those two. I don't know. Maybe they see O'Shea as a starting three. It could be anything. But just based on that combination, what is your takeaway from that if, if those are the starters? Well, it's like, can you repeat that? I'm trying to think through my head. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. Um, yeah, if you need to edit this, that's fine. No, you're um, good. So, yeah, if we look at it, we know Tyrese is the starting one. We know that if Miles is back, he's going to be the starting five. And we've just been told that, that Jalen is the starting four. I think that it's probably safe to assume that the other two spots are going to belong to some combination of Buddy, Matherin, or Duarte. Mm-hmm. So, like, knowing all of that, what is your thought about that combination of players as a potential starting lineup? Wow. Uh, well, the defense is not going to be better next year if that's the starting lineup. Um, that 
that would be my first inkling. My second one is that's a lot of guards and fives. Um, don't really <laughs> see any wings in there. Uh, like, I, I think you and I are both like a lot less optimistic about Matherin playing the three, at least early on in his career than I think consensus seems to be. Um, like, I, I don't know, like maybe there's a world in which O'Shea plays the three and they just play him out of position. And, you know, hopefully he's improved enough as a, as a finisher to make attacking off drives more, uh, more of a part of his game, which makes him at least more three like, but at the same time, like, okay, so you're playing two guys out of position now and it just, it gets really funky. And then after that, it's like, okay, well then, so are you not starting Benedict Matherin or Buddy Heald or Chris Duarte? And, every single one of those things has its own different set of implications. Like I don't think you are drafting Benedict Matherin sixth overall to come off the bench. Um, at least I would be surprised if that's how it starts, how it goes. Maybe it starts that way, but um, I think if Benedict is not starting by the end of the year, that would be pretty surprising to me. Um, for Buddy, I mean, part of the reason Buddy was playing well in Indiana and he even mentioned in, in quotes after the games, why he was just excited to be here is like, he wasn't coming off the bench like he was starting and he had more quote unquote freedom to play in the offense. Okay. So if you're moving him to the bench, that looks different. If you're playing Chris Duarte off the bench, that just, oh, yeah, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what I'm looking at is, is somewhat the implications for Tyrese. Cause if you look at that collection of players and even if it is O'Shea, we're talking about with the exception of Matherin who got, most of his usage in transition at Arizona. Every one of those other players sources most of their usage, the majority of their usage in spot-up situations. Mm -hmm. And very few of them get to the rim out of those spot-up situations. So it feels to me that you're betting on a number of things there, that you're betting on Jalen's three being what it was or near to what it was for those first seven games so that there's more credibility there long-term you're betting on miles Turner rolling a lot more than he ever has in his career to put more pressure on the basket. You're really banking on Matherin stepping up with the secondary playmaking secondary pick and rolls, his handle. Otherwise it's just going to be Tyrese having to put the initial bend in the defense all the time, which, you know, I'm somewhat on the fence about because a big part of me, like, and when they took Matherin, it goes back to what the results were with buddy I'm okay for this next year, especially, you know, given what it seems the direction is to find out exactly how much, you know, how far will Tyrese be willing to push it? How much will he assert himself? Mm -hmm. And that type of a lineup is going to be revealing of that. But at the same time, like, if you're not providing him with like, to use Rick's word, a prototypical rim roller, you're going to have two bigs who aren't exactly known for their passing that if Tyrese is getting, you know, blitzed, I don't know what I think about that particularly. Yeah. And then a lot of guards who don't really get to the rim, like Duarte of that group has the highest rim frequency. Otherwise miles amongst bigs ranks 17th percentile in rim frequency. Jalen last season with the Pacers ranked 24th in rim frequency, buddy 39th in rim frequency. And Tyrese was also in the 39th percentile of rim frequency, which was actually higher than Sacramento than his time in Sacramento. But um, yeah, because I mean, if we look at the two bigs, just like if we break down their possessions as the roll man and how often they rolled versus slipped versus popped, um, Jalen was 44% pop 
and Miles was 51% pop. Miles rolling on 43% of his possessions was, I believe, the high, the most he has ever rolled last season. So um, it just feels like you're going to be banking on a lot of stuff. Because, I mean, altogether, like Jalen took seven total shots off of more than two dribbles. Yeah, there's a, there's not a lot of uh, penetration going on in this offense, I think is a great way to put it. I mean, it's kind of reminiscent in a way of like looking at how Dallas's roster was constructed around Luka when you really think about it. That's interesting. Like, hmm. like not a lot of um, other secondary playmakers necessarily, a lot of shooters and banking on those threes falling and then having bigs that aren't going to do much more than just either – catch a pass on the roll or shoot a three. So maybe some delay, but um, where do we want to go from here? I was trying to look at, Oh, the one thing that I did think positively on, you mentioned the defense and I've said this on our last couple pods, but I do think that the one benefit of having Jalen at the four, instead of just playing like a bigger wing would be that, you're going to have some degree of a bigger body and a secondary rim protector out there. Mm. When this, this, this signals to me that they're going to be all in on the switching next year. That's really what I thought when they said, like, I know that probably sounds counterintuitive to have Jalen at the four and you're going to be doing a switch scheme, but Jalen talked in that presser about that, you know, defensively was a goal of his over the last 25 games and be able to do more with switching. And that continues to be a goal for him. And it's, it's good to have more than one type of player at the four, because if your bigs out on the perimeter and gets beat, there was a lot of times where there was just nobody, you know, there to support that. So if you do have Jalen out there and, and miles gets a switch, because I think miles will be called into that a lot more than he has been the last few seasons where teams more targeted Sabonis, then at least you do have somebody else back there to protect. Mm-hmm. And the other benefit I see of this is, is that, I think that you had mentioned this before, but like Jalen's defensive rebounding percentage, what he does for the team on the glass, the Pacers were not a good rebounding team over the last half of the season, but they were much better when he was on the floor, like the swing on, on their defensive rebounding rate when Jalen was on the floor and to compare to when he was off was the biggest of, of any big on the roster who was still left on the team. So like when he was off the floor, that was 69.2, which would have been worse than the worst team in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So like, if you are going to be starting miles, I think that you do need to have somebody else out there who's going to make up for some of his deficiency on the glass. And Jalen does provide that. So to an extent, like if we're just looking at this in a vacuum, like I understand some of the fit of playing him and miles together, I think, but then it goes back again to what we said before, like, what is the goal for next season? Because if what Greg Doyle is saying here is true and Miles wants to get to it, wants to be in a bigger market and you're going to be moving him either now or once he recoups some of his trade value, like it's what I said on the last pod, you're going to want him defended by fives. He's going to have to be a more focal point of the offense for, you know, to make that more enticing. So then I have a little bit of question about it along with, you know, what we already said about Isaiah Jackson. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of what I'd like to hit on. Like, um, I just am of the mindset, like if this was like in a vacuum, if it was a one-off, then I think I'd understand wanting to recoup trade value and whatnot. But at this point, just with, with how everything has gone the last couple of years with Miles, with him 
I shouldn't say clearly not wanting to be here, but like all all signs point to yes, I think is the best way to like if, if we're shaking the magic eight ball, does Miles Turner want to be here? All signs point to yes. I'm, I'm not wanting to be here, I should say. Um, like, and I can't blame him, but I think this is just more so I'm t- I I get wanting to recoup trade value, but I think doing this for again, uh, doing this again for another year of punting along something that clearly is not like something you really want going forward. I just don't get that. Like I get wanting to get the most value out of it, but I think in some ways you inherently lose value just by continuing to do that and start of, instead of, uh, you know, just kind of taking your mistakes on the chin and, and moving forward 100% in a new direction. Like, I don't know, maybe that's why I'm not a GM, but I think that's how I view it. Um, I feel like they try really hard to win every deal. And I feel like sometimes in that direction, you tend to lose out on things because you're trying to to make something perfect that's not going to be. But I don't know if you feel similarly. No, I think it's definitely a trade-off. I mean, I, th- I think you nailed it to a degree that, you know, I think there are times where you can point to and say that their patience has been a definite virtue. But like the difference with the Victor Oladipo situation, I mean, I realized that Jake kind of said that Miles doesn't have much of a market right now. But like when Victor left the bubble, and I've used that as them taking a measured approach and it, it working out for them. But in part, that's because his trade value was absolute like rock bottom. Yeah. Like given how he had played, there was his value was only going to go up. I feel like this one has a little bit more of a risk in addition to like, again, if, if, if Greg isn't just like editorializing there and that's like him reporting that miles wants to be in a bigger market. And you know, that then you are just kind of sacrificing, like how long is it going to take to do that? And you're just sacrificing reps that could just be, you know, Isaiah Jackson and Jalen starting, which to a certain extent, like the results with the two of them on the floor, from you know it was only like 100 minutes but the results were pretty decent and that does provide at least Tyrese with somebody who we know you know actively pressures the rim actively runs the floor hard in transition and sucks in defenders from the perimeter um fits with certain things that Tyrese wants to do like am I convinced that Isaiah Jackson's ready to anchor um a defense as a starter no not really but like you know in the past you can point to certain circumstances where kicking the can down the road prevented them from getting a look at things earlier or, you know, prevented other guys from starting to get opportunities that they could have had over a longer span of time, if that makes sense. Yeah. And this definitely feels like that. Like we've kind of skirted around the Isaiah Jackson thing a little bit, but like, I just, okay. So somebody has to move. If you actually are going to get Isaiah Jackson real reps, like, I mean, yeah, you can, you can be like, well, he's going to play off the bench, but also, okay. Yes. If he's coming off the bench, he has less room to make mistakes. And I think that's where I just get a little bit more frustrated with it. Like, okay, we knew not saying that he's a project is the wrong way to put it, but like we knew this is a guy who needed a lot of development coming in. And I think getting him actual reps that are um, it's not even just like it. Like, I think it's kind of like we talked about with Jalen Dern. Like if you're going to get the most out of Isaiah Jackson, I think you really have to lean into some of the things that he is flashing and showing like, okay, can you empower him to take threes in, in, in games again? Like to, to take multiple, because I do think like if you're getting the most out of him and he's going to become that, um, that, that, that forward potentially, which I wonder if they've kind of already just skirted past that after this last year, if it feels like um, in some ways, um, it, it does make me wonder for sure. But I, I don't know. I just feel like if they're going to actually buy in on, on who Ajax is and they have to really actually, buy into doing that but i don't know 
Yeah, I mean, I wasn't opposed to him being the backup five next season behind Miles and then maybe also playing some windows at the mm-hmm. four. It's just more so now that you've re-upped Jalen for three years and told him he's the starter. And then depending upon what happens at the five position, you're effectively deciding he's going to be a bench player. Like it's yeah. more so that you've locked it in where there's no there's no pathway um, is, is more my uh, criticism. But um, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is if Miles isn't here, there's also been a lot of reporting about the Pacers' interest in DeAndre Ayton. Um, there was one re- person out of Phoenix yesterday that said that they were kind of expecting that the Pacers might provide him with an offer sheet, not even necessarily a sign-and-trade. You know, Brian Windhorst kind of hinted around that, you know, Miles could be traded somewhere else in that type of a situation if that happens. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there we go again. Like, if you and both of us, I think, feel pretty good about what the fit between Tyrese and Ayton is, um, we like things about DeAndre Ayton, but um, if you're getting, if you're going to pay Ayton potentially 30 million a year and you've just signed Jalen Smith. And again, like this doesn't all have to be about Isaiah Jackson. I understand that. And if you feel really strongly about getting Ayton as your center of the future and, and what he can offer as a potentially number one, number two option with Tyrese, like that's what you do. But I did want to point out that I looked up this morning and do you want to guess how many minutes Jalen Smith and DeAndre Ayton played together in Phoenix this season? Uh, it was less than a hundred, wasn't it? 11. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, because now I think about it, uh, Jalen really didn't get that massive playing time until DeAndre went down and, and missed time. Like, and that's when when Jalen had the the really quality stretch um, in the middle of the season. Yeah, wow, I did not realize it was that small. But yeah, because I mean, when the, at the time when the Pacers signed Jalen, I had included in my little write up a quote from Monty Williams where he had essentially said that like when they drafted Jalen, they saw him as kind of like a Jeremy Grant player. And like, it wasn't Monty Williams being salty or snarky with what I'm about to say, but he's like, he's not that, like, that's not what he is. And like, we've now seen him play at the five and we think he's more of a five. (laughs) Um, I mean, this in the nicest way possible, but like, I just would like to know what tape they were watching if they thought he was going to be Jeremy Grant watching him play at Maryland, but that's... (laughs) I don't remember the specific quote, but yes, but um, yeah, I mean, and part of that's like the Suns pretty much prefer to play bigger wings at the forward spot rather than, and I think sometimes that versatility hurt that lack of versatility at that spot did hurt them a little bit. Yeah. Like in the Dallas series, when, you know, Aiton's getting isolated by Luca tons of times, it's like what I said before, there probably were minutes or moments in that series where it would have been beneficial to have somebody at like Jalen at the four. Um, to at least provide you with some secondary rim protection rather than just having, you know, Crowder and, and Tory Craig. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know what to make of that. I think that our friends who cover the Phoenix Suns would um, definitely have some thoughts if they found out that the Indiana Pacers were going to start Jalen Smith and DeAndre Ayton together next year. Uh, yeah, that 100%. It's, uh, it's definitely interesting. Um, and for those listening, we uh, we hit a lot on on DeAndre Ayton in the last pod, so be sure to go back and check that out if you had any questions or, or thoughts on that as well. Um, Caitlin, did you want to add anything else? No, oh, I think we covered all of this um, that we were going to talk about from that very short press conference yesterday and sometime turned this into a 40-minute discussion. <laughs> as we are apt to do. Um, well, Caitlin, this was fun. To everyone listening, thank you for listening. Um, again, if you haven't already, be sure to rate and review us over on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We want to hear from you and get your feedback. We actually mean that. We do want to hear from you and get your feedback. And most importantly, 
Have a good rest of your day.